All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Romans 14, and we're going to try to do 15 as well. They kind of go together. And uh, we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity we have to spend time in your word, to study it. Um, we pray that you'd, it's for some of us retired, some of us are refreshed and ready to go, but we pray that you'd meet us where we are tonight, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide and lead us into all truth, that we'd receive it with gladness, that it would get planted in our hearts, your word deep and have wonderful roots and fruit in our lives. Help us to apply tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think you could have picked a better place to be tonight. Not that Calvary is the only place teaching God's word, but um, all over the country and all over the world, it's a Wednesday night, and a lot of people have chosen to spend time with him, with God, and others have not. Most have not. Um, I know you're tired. Um, I I can sense it in the room. I, I know that a lot of us have had long days. I know that Spring is coming, and there's a lot more effort agriculturally uh, needed on our parts and um, just in our jobs in in general. Um, I just want to encourage you that you've done the right thing by being here tonight. There's a lot of places you could be, but you've done the right thing. Um, We're excited about the prospect of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. It's an exciting thing. I understand that. Um, last time I spoke like this, though, we lost some people. So I want to encourage you to face up to the next phase of this, though, because so what? Oh, we've legislated morality forever, and I'm all for it. We should. But we now then have a bigger responsibility because we have many women, parents, hopefully, raising children they didn't want. And they're going to raise them up in the ways that they were raised. And it wasn't godly necessarily. And so we're raising children in an environment that doesn't love God. And so we're raising children for hell. So the reason I say you're in the most important place you could be on earth right now in church, focusing on God, spending time in his his word, because we're called now to get people saved, to tell people about the Lord so that they can train up their children in the way that they should go. That when they're old, they don't depart from it. They're not preparing children as firewood for hell. So I hope we're awake and ready for this. Um, We have several instances in the Old Testament where God authorized infanticide, whether you know it or not, whether you understand it or not. Many churches don't cover those sections of Scripture because they're difficult and hard to understand, and we'd rather not talk about those things. But Noah's flood, the beautiful rainbow, and the wonderful ark, and the fuzzy little creatures, toys that we can buy at the store to teach our children about that, there were bodies of people floating all around that boat, including infants. There were only eight that made it on that boat, that chose to be obedient to God. And so at one point, God chose that because every thought and intent of the heart of man and the mind of man was wickedness. He had watched the earth for so long that all he saw was generation after generation gearing up for hell. That's all they knew, and that's why they mocked Noah. Our country is tipping I'm watching certain things tonight before I came in here, and I watched, mm, boy, it's hard to say because I don't want to, they might be listening, and I want them saved. 
(laughs) But I saw parents acting like they shouldn't act with young children, like they shouldn't be treated, which normally used to be a real wholesome activity, but isn't anymore. And all I heard were S words and F words to these little tykes. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I realized, no, this is it. This is where we are. So as we, as we go into Romans 14 and 15, to better our walk with the Lord, we can't stay in this room. I have to apply this to my life. I have to walk out of these doors. And when I sit across the barbed wire fence from my neighbor, or I speak tractor to tractor, or I speak person to person with anybody I come in contact with, the most important conversation I can have is not about the weather, and it's not about the crops, and it's not about my business activities, but it's about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be at that place right now because we're at a tipping point. We're seeing wonderful legislative things taking place. And I hope that's a heartfelt change because it's more uh, advantageous to the politicians to go this route because there's so many people that believe this now, which I think we are. I think we have a whole generation coming up that's bypassed the boomers and the rest of us and now has has a respect for life. I hope that's happening. I hope that's the case. But I hope their walk with Jesus is just as tight. And that we're not content with something legally done. But now we understand we have a responsibility to teach our neighbors and all those kids that are going to be having kids to love Jesus. As in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man the second time. It'll be just like that. Where every thought and every of their heart and of their mind will be evil devising evil, coming up with evil. None of the kids I watched were enjoying the game. None of them. Not one kid out there was having fun. I saw him get hit on the head with the, with the glove of a coach a couple times, but not in a fun way. What were you thinking, you little S? What is that? This is in ballparks all over, though, all over the place. So why aren't you coaching? I coached 10 years. I did all my kids' soccer. It's time to let some other coaches and get involved in things. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a symptom of a much bigger problem. People don't know Jesus. People going to church don't know Jesus. They don't love his word. You're in the most important place you can be right now. I just want to encourage you in that. So Romans 14, Paul continues on with the law of liberty. Beautiful law. We've been set free. But sometimes we read this 14 and we get confused with all things are okay. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about morality. As we go through these two chapters, please understand that. He's not talking about morality. He's talking about iffy things, questionable things things that aren't really on God's radar. He's not talking about murder. He's not talking about adultery. He's not talking about all the other sins out there because he then names those sins after he says all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. He then continues on to say, then why are you doing sexual immorality? He never said that sin is okay. So as we go through this, 
please understand what he's trying to get across to the older believers, mature believers, and the new believers. He's going to make a distinction between strong believers and weak believers, and there's always those two groups, always. The idea, though, is to never leave the weak believers in their weakened state. We want them to be mature. I want them to be mature. I won't be the same person I am today five years from now, hopefully. Hopefully I'll be more mature. I'll grow in the Lord. As I look back on my life and my walk with Jesus, it's always changed. It should. If I find myself in a stagnant place in my walk with Jesus, then I need to kick myself in the rear. What am I doing? Important. Verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, the liberal Christian will read that and say, see, it says don't judge. No. No. That's not it. See, don't waste time talking about what kind of food you're eating. Let's talk about Jesus. Nowhere in there does he say that I can't recognize sin in someone's life or they can't recognize sin in my life based off of God's word. I'm not judging you. I'm simply stating a fact. You're going against God's will. I'm going against God's will. That's always open for discussion. That's always a topic that we can talk about as believers. What he's saying shouldn't be taking up our time is, are you only eating carrots? I'm having a steak. You know, just have carrots or don't eat. (laughs) I'm a little fired up tonight. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Just because it's just God preparing me, I guess, for it to see all this. But we had the hardest time not having snacks on Friday night. Coffee? We make coffee? Should we have snacks? No. Can we not eat or drink? for an hour and a half as Americans and just worship the Lord? Is it possible to do that? I need a cup of coffee. I don't want anybody drinking coffee with their legs crossed, sitting in the back row while we're worshiping the Lord and spending time with God and focusing on Him. We need room to get on our knees. We need room for all this stuff. Can we not do that? Let's not worry about food. Let's be spiritual for, for an hour. We can do it. I'm sure we can. And we did. We made it. To his own mastery stands or falls. What Paul is getting at is don't let that be your gauge as far as, or your, your topic when you're talking about the Lord. Let's not do that. Let's not talk about the foods we eat or what we don't eat, uh, measuring our spirituality based off of that. You know, We don't want to do that. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to get to that. That's the next book. When we get done with Romans here, we'll get into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how sectarianism or being a part of a sect, I'm above Paul, I'm above Paulus, so on, that is sin. He calls it sin. Later on, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, sexual immorality is sin, but he's actually teaching the same thing in 1 Corinthians as he teaches in Rome. Not to worry about foods, not to worry about days, not to worry about the doubtful things, the things that Christ has fulfilled by coming and dying on the cross. Let's not worry about those things. And then he goes in to describe things that are sin. 
being a part of a sect or denomination, sexual immorality, and he goes on and on. That is open. That is still a topic that Paul addresses. But as far as these things go, let's you know, Paul gets to the point here in these chapters where then I'd just rather not eat meat if it bothers you so much. Can we talk, talk about Jesus? It doesn't say that he doesn't all the time. It just says, when we're, if it's a problem for you, I don't want it to be a problem. I don't want that to be the focus. I don't want you to be staring at every bite that I eat. You know, I've got a relative that absolutely can't believe that we own a farm, that we're raising beef and chickens and eating these things, you know, kind of thing. Do I invite him to the wedding where we're going to have a, a carnivore fest or, or not, you know? I, I think for their sake... I'm not going to eat a salad. We're just not going to have you. There's points. There's times where it's like, I don't think you can come. Paul makes a very clear distinction here. Who is the weak one and who is the strong one? The strong one can eat everything. The weak one's the one that's stuck in that area. I'm, I'm not talking about health issues. I'm saying for moral things, you think that you can't. Well, the stronger person can. And so Paul makes a distinction there. Paul is teaching both groups. It's sort of a subtle way of teaching that, isn't it? I'm not making it so subtle tonight, but Paul is. He's saying, when you guys get together and the weak ones and the strong ones are together, and he defines them. The ones eating vegetables are the weak ones, the ones eating meat are the strong ones. So when you get together, let's not worry about it. The weak ones heard that. They understand what he's getting at. He's trying to take them to a place to where they can understand, no, there's a lot of freedom in in the Lord, and there's a lot of understanding that needs to be learned about your walk with Jesus. You're working out your own salvation. And so he's going to hit on this subject. Verse 5, one person, he's going to move from food to days. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the, observes the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. What's he talking about? He's talking about Sabbath. Do you know that the number three commandment, keeping the Sabbath, has been fulfilled? And we're under no obligation to do that anymore? Christ fulfilled it. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought into the power of any. Later on in that same book, chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. If you go to Colossians 2, which is the big one, I'd love to parallel with this. He says, don't let anybody judge you in new moons or festivals or Sabbaths. And he completes that thought all the way that whole chapter needs to be read to be understood. He says, it's been fulfilled. It's done. You can't be judged in these matters anymore. And so Paul makes it a point to say, if one person says, I'm, today I'm going to take a day of rest and I'm not going to do any work, he says, absolutely go for it. Honor God with that day. But you, as that person who says, I don't mow my lawn on Sunday, can't look at the guy mowing lawn across the street and saying, sinner, sinner, not keeping the third commandment, because Paul says he esteems every day alike. Every day is the Sabbath for me. Every day. 
It's all the same. I teach them, I treat them all alike because I know that Jesus is my Sabbath. He's my rest from works, from labors. Paul's trying to make it a point for them to understand you're focusing on the wrong things. You don't understand how great a salvation you have in Jesus Christ, what he saved you from. In four, he goes back to the food. He who eats, he eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. It's just where they're, it's just where they are. Now he's talking about not whether it's moral to eat a cow or not. He's talking about whether it's moral to eat something that was may have been offered up to idols, and we're going to get into that. And he gets into that. And the guy says, No, the meat's half price, but it, it was offered up to an idol first. There are no idols. There's no such thing as other gods. I just learned that. I serve the one and true living God. Uh, that's Zeus. That's Zeus's meat. Not anymore. Praise God. And he eats it. Now, the weaker brother's like, ah. not understanding, thinks that brother is failing and worshiping Zeus and God at the same time because he's participating. So Paul's saying, just don't eat the Zeus meat in front of him. Save it for later when it's you and your wife. And you're both okay with it, but don't, don't do that. You know, be careful about that. Watch that other person that just may not be there yet. And that's okay, but make no mistake about it. Let me talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Make no mistake about it. You need to get there. You need to get to that understanding to that place. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is why we do. This is what we do. We've got a mission here. I enumerated that before we started. That's to tell people about the Lord and, and and lead people to Jesus Christ for salvation so that their lives get straightened out. Not only did they not avoid hell, we want that for sure. We want them to avoid that. We want them to be saved from hell, from their sins. But from that salvation, they begin to walk with the Lord and be obedient to his word. And when your kids have a fighting chance and your marriage has a fighting chance, and you have a fighting chance because you're obeying his word. You can't put that salvation in your back pocket and disregard the rest of God's word. Put the Bible away. Say, I got my salvation. That's all I need from the Lord. No, there's so much more. This is, this is all about him. We don't want just John 3.16. We want all that he has to say to us about himself. All of it. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our, brother, in our brother's way. So important. When I'm talking to somebody, it takes time to take their spiritual temperature. I don't know where they are. I don't know how long they've been saved. Some people can be saved 20 years sitting in a church for 20 years, but not know the first thing about the word of God. They've never studied it. <laughs> During our Friday night 
wonderful worship time. It was just an amazing time waiting on the Lord. God just really moved. And it was exciting to see and participate in and, and to make ourselves available for <laughs> one of the ladies came up. She goes, you know what the real miracle is? I've been saved from, she said, a denomination. Been there for 32 years. Never even knew there was a Holy Spirit. So she said, literally came out of her mouth. Because they don't study the Bible. They don't know. They don't read it. And I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying there's just so much more. That denomination didn't start that way. They love the Word of God. They started off with the Word of God. That's how they began. That's all they studied. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. All the gifts. And then slowly but surely we figured out we didn't need Him anymore. And so you got to take their spiritual temperature and see where they are because you don't need to... It can feel like a sledgehammer sometimes if you're not careful. You don't want to do that. But we are called to grow. We are called to, as iron sharpens iron. Um, and sometimes there's some sparks. And that's okay. I'm offended. Well, be offended. But then read God's word after you're offended and make sure that what I just said is wrong. And if it's right, then we need to be humble enough to say, oh, I guess I was wrong, you know? Very important. And so Paul's saying, look, we answer to God. Let's not argue about the, the very first verse is what he's talking about. The very first verse. Let's not dispute over doubtful things. But there are some things that are not doubtful. Not everything's doubtful. And so Paul's saying, just let those doubtful things go. Those aren't the important things. Let's focus on the important things. Because we're under a, a deeper law, stronger law. That's the law of love. Verse 14. I know, Paul says, and am convinced by the Lord Jesus, there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. What Paul is trying to get at is for us to think deeper than what the, what the Word of God necessarily says. It, it does say that. The sheet coming down for Peter. Peter was starving. Sheet comes down. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's unclean because there was all sorts of creeping things and unkosher things in this sheet. And the Lord said, do not call what I have cleansed unclean. And he brought it down again. And they've gone through this a couple times. And so Peter had to learn. And at that moment, he did. Beforehand, walking with Jesus, his conscience would not allow him to do that, thinking that it was disobedient to God's word. So I'm not going to do that. But as God explained it further to him, his mind changed, his convictions were changed, and he was able to participate then and can eat those things that weren't. That's what Paul's talking about. It may say in God's word that all things are clean and everybody can eat all these things, but that person doesn't know that yet. For their conscience sake, I love God and I don't want to be disobedient to God. I'm not going to eat those things that are unclean. Fine, then don't. We'll get there someday. We won't worry about that today. Let's talk about the Lord. But at some point, the white sheet has to come down for everybody. Used to have a book out there from, oh, what was his name? the former pastor of a denomination, you want to become Calvary. And, and he says, well, that's fine if you want to be in the Calvary Chapel movement, but you got to get rid of this hangup that you've got, that your denomination has. And they were sitting there and I can't, I don't want to name the denomination. It just comes up way too many times, but and they were sitting there and, and 
he says, and he called his wife. He says, well, honey, I, I've broken free. I, I, I took a big old healthy bite of a ham sandwich. I'm done. I'm set free. This denomination doesn't allow it at all. And you got to worship on Saturdays. You can't worship on Sundays. But to find a point on it yet? The white sheet has to come down sometime. There has to be a moment where we realize, oh, that's okay. And, and that's why we go through God's word. Every time we go through it, something new speaks to our heart. Something else changes us. We're getting a little bit closer, a little better understanding of our salvation, of his word, who he is, what's happened with Christ. Uh, most people have the idea, well, Jesus came, he died on the cross, and, and I'm saved for my sins. But do you understand what he means when he says, I fulfilled the law, when I said it's finished, that the temple was destroyed, that he's no longer there, the temple is now you. I mean, do you understand all of that? There's a lot going on there. When the veil rips from top to bottom, we don't go back there anymore. He's in us now. I dwell in you. You dwell in me. I make my home with you. I'm in you. You are in me. And he goes through this whole, you talk about being confused. I mean, we're all together now. There is no going to be where the Lord is. He's with me all the time. A lot changes then. A lot happened at that moment. Paul says, I'm convinced. I know that. Nothing is unclean, but he also understands those who consider things to be unclean, to him it is. Because if he eats, violating his conscience, knowing in his heart that he's violating God, he's choosing to be disobedient to God, even though he's not. He thinks he is. And so therefore, it is rebellion for him. Does that make sense? Paul understands that. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, thank goodness, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Focus on those things. We like lists. We like to focus on the things we do and what we don't do. Just tell me what not to do and what to do. We love that. Just give me a list. And all of a sudden, he works in this Holy Spirit thing. I don't care who you are as a Christian. You cannot avoid the very fact that you have to walk in the Spirit. And moment by moment, person by person, you need to adjust your conversation. You need to adjust your behavior with that person. You need to be true to Christ, but you need to meet that person where they are and minister to that person. The only way you can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. There ain't no list in the world, none in the Bible that can guide you through that moment by moment thing. You have to have him, the person of Jesus. He comes up to the woman at the well. He knows exactly what to say to her. And it's not the same thing he said to the woman caught in adultery. They're two separate instances, but he ministers to each woman differently. He ministers to each person differently. Very important to understand. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you do. Focus on those things, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Let's focus on building each other up, not finding out who's spiritually further along. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Now, some say, well, the word all means all. Not in this case, it doesn't. Because if all things indeed are pure, then he should be able to eat with offense. But he just said right after all things are pure, that that is evil. So all things aren't pure. You understand? We make things too simple sometimes. Well, it says all, so I can do anything. No, because right after he said that, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil. If it's all things are pure, then you can't say things are evil. No. So that's not what he means. You can't eat with offense. That's wrong. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We already covered that. He's saying what we just said. For that person who has a conscience and thinks that they're violating God's love and his affection for them by being rebellious against him. If I eat this, it's rebellion against God, but I, I want to do that because my brother's eating, so I'm going to eat too. I'm choosing my brother over God. Then it becomes sin, even though it's not biblically, not from his word. So Paul just said, just let that stuff go. Let it go. Chapter 15. We then who are strong, so the first chapter was about weak, now he's moving on to the strong. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples. That's not a word we use very often, but it's weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. Don't worry about pleasing yourself. Don't worry about your freedoms and your rights and your abilities. And I can, you know, I can, I can do this. Of course you can. But if it breaks fellowship with somebody, was it worth it? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. <laughs> you talk about someone that could have had liberty. Imagine Jesus Christ expressing all the liberty they had. A couple times he did, though, didn't he? See, this is my point. He knew for a fact that someone was going to be offended if he healed some guy with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. He knew that. He knew they wouldn't like that. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to offend somebody today. It's time to let the white sheet down. It's time for people to see it. It's all right. We can do this. And in fact, it's a better fulfillment of the law because if you see somebody who's hurt, like your donkey in a hole, you'd certainly get him out. How much more should I take care of this man's withered hand on the Sabbath day? Of course we do these things. So he fulfills it, explains it, helps him to understand it better. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his big thing. I just want to see some unity in Rome. I see you dividing up into the hammies over there and, and the veggies over here, you know, and, and then you got the beef eaters over here, and then you've got 
Let's just hang out and love the Lord and worship. Be of one mind. And if food's an issue, maybe when we meet, we don't eat. You know, it's okay. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That's an interesting way to put it. I don't think I've ever understood it that way. Just receive people. Receive them. Not accept them. Not um, uh, put up with them. But receive them. Just receive us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. This is 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. And him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He keeps saying that. He keeps bringing up the Holy Spirit over and over again. Now, before I miss it, (laughs) in Acts, when Peter finally opens his mouth to the council about all these Gentiles getting saved and how the council is very concerned that they weren't circumcised and they need to be circumcised because that's what good Jewish proselytes or proselytes do. They come to Jesus or Jews first, and then they become, they can receive Christ as their Messiah, but they got to be a Jew first, then Jesus. So Jew, Jesus, that's the order of things. And these guys skipped Jew. They went right to Jesus. We got to get these guys circumcised. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And he finally opened his mouth and says, they don't need to be saved like we do. We need to get saved like they do. When, when Paul was trying to minister to the Jews, he always went to the Jews first. And he had his, his young guy, Timothy, with him. Timothy had to get circumcised because his dad was Jewish. So he had to get circumcised. Well, he knew his dad was Gentile and his mom was Jewish. And so they knew that he wasn't circumcised because his dad wasn't, but he needed to if he's going to minister to the Jews. So Paul says, Timothy, you're going to... And then he spends books writing about, you don't need to be circumcised. But Timothy, you're in a different place. You're trying to minister to people and they can't hear you because you're not circumcised and they know it. You need to get circumcised so that you can minister the love of God so that they can get saved and realize they don't need to be circumcised. See how it works? It's... It's not complicated. It's, it's love. Paul says they don't know Jesus. We can't start with, we can't even get past or to Jesus until we get past the circumcision thing. So get that done with. Okay. You know, they expect that. But eventually they come to that place where they understand. Paul's just trying to get everybody on the same page. Let's worry about the Lord. Because Paul knows that the, the more unity they have, the more time they spend in the word together, loving each other, encouraging each other, edifying each other, that the word has its opportunity to work then in their lives. It begins to change people from the inside out. God's word is what changes people. 
And he knows that. And the more time we spend in it, the more time we, all of a sudden, we start leveling off. You know, everybody starts leveling off spiritually. We're, we're no longer this, you know, low and high or weak and strong. We all begin to level off. And that denying of yourself that like Jesus did, and Paul just called us to the same thing Jesus did, when we deny ourselves for the sake of love for the brother across from us or the sister across from us, that helps us grow even deeper with the Lord because we're walking like Jesus did, you see? So the sheet falls down for us. We get stronger because we realize how much Christ is fulfilled. And then we realize sometimes we need to put the sheet away. It's like a next step. Closer to God and not worry about the food. Now I myself, Paul says, am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul saying, was that too much? (laughs) I realized that was a lot. That was a strong cup of coffee I just wrote in that chapter 14. And I realize I've been strong with you. I know I'm being blunt. I know I'm being forceful. I'm almost being, um, I'm lording over you in a sense. I understand that, but please, I'm just doing this as a reminder. I just want you to know, I know that you're full of goodness. I know that you're saved. I know all that. I'm just reminding you, this is the environment where we grow. This is where we mature. Therefore, I have, no re- I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyricum, that's probably not how you pronounce that. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. I try to go where the gospel isn't preached. That's hard to swing a stick around here without someone knowing the gospel, but it's probably time for the, for the gospel to come through our country again, actually. A true understanding of it anyway. That he saved us from sins. And we need to talk about those sins. And they need to still be sins. And we can't explain away all the sins. Otherwise, the cross is of no effect. There's no reason for Jesus to die if there is no sin. For this reason, I, have, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed and they are the debtors, they are their debtors. 
For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So Paul is taking a tithe or a gift or an offering from all these Gentile churches back to the hub, Jerusalem. Say, here the Gentiles just wanted to show their love for you. And that does wonders for that relationship between those two groups. Paul says, I need to get this to them. They've, they've reaped the spiritual blessing of a Jewish Messiah, even though they're not Jews. And so they want to return and give what they can give. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's not what we're done. We're not done. (laughs) Turn to Colossians 2 for me, please. Because sometimes when I say those things, it sounds like it's just me coming up with that stuff. I, I know. I don't know about all that. Well, and I understand that. And you should never just believe the pastor, ever, 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 ever. You should always read the Word of God, make sure that what they're saying is true. So I, I do want to go over this Colossians 2 a little bit. Because what I said in Romans is what he specifically says in Colossians, but it's very concise. Okay. It's no different. He's just teaching a different group of people, but saying the same thing. He says, for I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's a lot there, but we won't hit it. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with perverse words or persuasive words, same thing. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I want you to be grounded. I want you to be steadfast. I want to see you orderly, walking in an orderly way with Christ. I don't want you to be moved by people that say other things. I want you to be grounded. Here's what he says. As for, you, as for you, therefore, having received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I want you to not only just get saved, but I want you to be abundantly saved, abundantly grounded. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. We first did our ad. We first came to Maryville. We bought an ad at the hangar. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And that's all we had was a black screen and some narrator reading this verse to this community. Let no one cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him, 
you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see what two things he just covered there and said, when you come to Christ, those two things are fulfilled. You have been circumcised. You have been baptized. That's happened in Christ. He's doing tons of things here in this. He's letting them know the fullness of what it means to believe on John 3.16. This has happened to you. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Every single sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, future, not yet confessed, not yet even realized in your own life, were nailed 2,000 years ago to the cross. It's already been paid for. You're like super saved, abundantly saved. All of it has been. He doesn't want anybody thinking that they got a clean slate. And since they've come to know the Lord, they've written on that slate. And now they're obligated to do some further task to get saved. No, the slate's been smashed. There is no writing anymore. No one's marking it down anymore. You're saved. It's been nailed to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. Those were all foreshadowing. You're going to need a rest day. You're going to need a Sabbath. You're going to need to have this festival and that festival. You're going to need to celebrate the Passover. It all pointed. It was a shadow, but Christ was the one casting the shadow. Now you've come to Jesus. Nobody goes to the shadow anymore. Use this several times in in my illustrations. It's like having a picture of your wife or, or your husband on a business trip or on a trip. Oh, I love them. They're so beautiful. I look at them every night. But then you get off the plane and you're reunited with that loved one. You don't still sit there and stare at the picture. Can you get my bags, honey? Oh, I just love this woman. No, no, no. You've got her. You grabbed her. You grabbed him, you know. You're infatuated with them. You stare at them. You kiss them. You fawn over them. You love them. That's what Paul's saying. You guys are still talking about the photo. You're just talking about the shadow. You've got the one who casts the shadow now. Embrace him. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, now we're done. He said it, I didn't. 
I hope we can take all that in. That's a lot. But it's worth, the, it's worth chewing on the rest of the week. It's worth spending time on. It's worth rereading. It's worth understanding. It's worth understanding that I've been set free from my sin and I'm in liberty, but that liberty is never a cloak for vice and it's never meant to cause another brother to stumble. But in my understanding of that liberty and my understanding of walking in the newness that I have in Christ and I'm a new creation, I also understand I need to bring other people to that place also and to tell them of this freedom that I have and how complete our salvation is through Jesus Christ and how there can be nothing added to it. And the idea of thinking that I don't eat this or I don't eat that makes me better than John 3.16 is ridiculous. It's accessorizing the robe of righteousness that Christ has given us with ornaments. It looks foolish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's boldness. I know he almost apologized for it in a sense, trying to not backpedal, but at least make them feel like he wasn't singling them out. I'm so thankful that there is that boldness and that he wrote these things down for us, that we might know that, that we don't become saved Pharisees or saved Sadducees or saved whoever, but just saved and madly in love with you and we want holiness in our lives. We want, we want to walk worthy of that calling. We want to be sons and daughters that are obedient to you and to your word. But help us to know what that truly looks like. Help us to walk in love, to walk in the spirit, to be moved by your Holy Spirit in every conversation that we have with each and every person, that we're ready to be a blessing, whether that's a woman at the well, a woman caught in adultery, a man who's got a withered hand or whether it's Nicodemus at night that just can't quite understand the whole born again thing. Help us to be able to give a reason for the hope which lies within us in a way that they can understand and that can only happen by your spirit. So we ask for that tonight, a fresh filling of your spirit, the ability to walk in that way, to understand your word and to be able to share it with boldness and to not be timid or shy, but to know That's the reason we're still breathing to share you with those around us. Bless these folks as they go tonight, Lord. Thank you for them and thank you for their hearts for you. And I pray that you would richly bless them as you already have with wisdom. You gave that to us tonight, but just take care of them, Lord. We love you in Jesus name. Amen.